Living the Dream acknowledges the traditional owners of the land it is recorded on, especially the Jagera and Turrbal peoples, elders past, present and future, and their continuing struggles for justice and self-determination. G'day, welcome to Living the Dream podcast. I'm John, at John Puccini on Twitter, and I'm joined by Max. Are you on Twitter? No, I'm not on Twitter. I actually am on Twitter, but I haven't issued a single tweet. <laughs> You're a stalker. <laughs> Yes, a Twitter are you, stalker. Are you still an egg? Is your profile picture still an egg? Yes, yes. the, the well-known man, men's rights. Oh, really? You know, oh, like Jesus. You know, yeah, for like right-wing trolls. So yeah, I'll probably try to change that. <laughs> um, as well as the frog, of course. So Max, this Max. is a revelation. <laughs> Not the good Max, one. men's rights activist. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even gotten into the men's rights activism in my cup. But Max, you managed Jono's, Jono's three's election campaign, uh, which was successful. Was that earlier this year? Uh, it was, last year. It was, it was March 2016. March 2016, yeah, forget the 2017 already. So, yes, Max managed a Jonas Free's election campaign in the Gabba, first successful Greens um, council campaign in yeah. Brisbane, in, in Queensland. Yeah. And also by Nat. Hi. Are you on, you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. What's your handle? I'm Dr. Nat Osborne. Ooh. Mm. Exciting, just like me, very inventive. Oh, totally, yeah. And Nat's a lecturer in the School of Environment at Griffith University and co founder of Right to the City. Brisbane. So there's two reasons the show is really special today. The first is that we're joined by these fantastic, amazing people who are doing great things. And also this is the first podcast where the voice of, of Dr. David Eden is not present. So Dave will get to listen to this podcast down the track once I send it to him for upload and he'll get to like see his see his creation born again <laughs> in new guys, or just sit there crying as he notes our various digressions and, you know, like <laughs> theoretical lapses. Incorrect <laughs> theoretical musings on value. Yeah, yeah, no, let's not even talk about value. Let him get into it. It's going to be too <laughs> contested territory. Um, so, yeah, there's a few things I wanted to talk about today, I guess. Um, not too structured or anything, but just to kind of get into what seems like a pretty cool moment in Brisbane, um, which is that there's two kind of really interesting campaigns going on. Um, on the one hand, there's the, there's some sort of elect, there's a radical election process that's going on, which is um, Jonathan Sari was elected as the councillor for the Gabba Ward last year, mm -hmm. and that's really, really interesting from a radical perspective in a lot of different ways, with the ties in, I think, to some local and some global issues that we will talk about. And on the other hand, we've got the Right to the City movement, which is really also tying in, I think, to some local and some and national and some global politics, but seems to have emerged in the area of South Brisbane and West End around opposition to the West Village development. So I want to kind of talk about these things, how they relate, I guess, to national and international politics and, and what is going to be happening in Queensland this year. It seems like it's going to be a pretty interesting year. I mean, it can't be as bad as last year, we hope, given... Touchwood, yeah. yeah, touch with. Let's, let's, you know, we've got a few major elections coming up in, in countries around the world. We might touch on that. But yeah, so I guess what I want to do to start with, I've given a really general rundown, but let's talk about what's actually happened in Brisbane, firstly, in the last two years, and, and what what do we think has actually led to this? Why? why what's the history here? Do you want to start, Max? Um, yeah, I think that's a tough question. Because I, as someone who's sort of been involved in it, mm. it sort of feels like it's come out of nowhere, which, mm. to be honest, like, all good things seem to, like... Mm. Was it Walter Benjamin said all crucial blows are struck left-handed? Like, mm. they come from behind the backs of the people that are doing stuff. Mm. Um, I think specifically focusing on uh, the electoral side... Um, I think there was Jono's campaign came out of was almost like a coalescing of a whole bunch of different political refugees, people who had been disillusioned by different sides of politics from and different political organizing things and had coalesced around this group where they're like, well, all the stuff we're doing at the moment is failing miserably. Mm. I'd come from um, a labor left organizing background actually mm. at university. Mm. Uh, you know, people like Robbie had come from a uh, sort of disillusioned trot background. Mm. Uh, Jono's background around sort of more hippie, um, old uh, bohemian organising sort of stuff and the music background. And it all probably, it started with Jono's South Brisbane election campaign in 2015, um, which was never really given a chance to get off the ground, but coalesced around a lot of radical ideas. Mm. Uh, and, you know, got a reasonable swing of 2 or 3%. Uh, and mm. I think I remember you and Dave 
talking about it. They're like, well, Jono probably won't win, but this is an interesting moment nonetheless. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, I guess, for a number of reasons, I guess, in the terms of it's, it's A, kind of ideologically different, mm. in that it's breaking, I guess, with the ideas of the Greens party, as it's told, especially in Queensland, maybe we could say, organisationally, I guess, in that it has sort of, I don't know, you can reflect more on this, but I guess it seems to have had a more egalitarian and participatory sort of mode of politics, more so, and also aesthetically, which is quite interesting, in terms mm. of how Jono... John presented himself as a candidate, which is a very different way to how, you know, um, to how most professional, particularly the Greens, professionalize. Like it's a very different type of politics that yes. he's presenting in a very different way through like videos, through his mm. amazing um, poetry. You know, so is there a so yeah? I mean, I guess I think that's really interesting. I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And someone who came from a you know who had been on the fringes of Labor Party organising, where the organisational structures are um, anemic and mm. broken, and mm. a, you know, a sort of a leftover from when the when trade unions were far more powerful and could influence genuine um, power within the party. Um, the organisational structures uh, in, for instance, the Gabba Ward were, mm. you know, our central key organising meetings were open to literally anyone who wanted to come. Mm. Uh, and we would just put them on this, like, Facebook group and announce them. Whereas, mm. you know, another, and these are organisational meetings that previously in other parties are, like, hierarchically elected, strict, mm. viciously fought over uh, and strictly monitored. Yeah. Whereas we were making political decisions mm. um, and having these quite sometimes quite theoretical discussions about politics mm. uh, so in that organisationally was a, a quite interesting in terms of aesthetics it's interesting that um, Jono during the South Brisbane election campaign thought that he should temper his radical ideas with a suit mm. and this is the 2015 yeah, state election yeah, campaign yeah and wore quite a cheap uh, you know not the best looking suit in the world mm. uh, and he shifted, like, during the Gabba Ward election, we were like, well, we sh- he shouldn't wear a suit this time and just wear yeah. whatever clothes you yeah. want. I did get convinced him to get a haircut and a beard trim towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> that was the extent. He never did that again. That was the extent of his um, aesthetic shift. I would say in aesthetics, the other interesting thing was the aesthetics, as, and Anna Carlson here was mm. um, instrumental. Yeah. It was her art, essentially. Mm. Aesthetically, the way the campaign the aesthetics of the campaign in a broader sense around what we were on flies and the way stuff was designed. Mm. And Anna always sells herself short, actually, uh, in this. But uh, that was also a really... Cru- in politics, is a really, really crucial thing. Mm. Uh, partly because it's how people identify that visually engage with the campaign and it was mm. distinctly different. Yes. Um, uh, which I thought was important and part of that broader shift around how this was different. Mm. Having said all that... Um, there were organisationally it wasn't all perfect like yeah. a lot of the key decisions were made on the fly with say me John and one other person in the room because you yeah. just and this is probably a discussion further down the line mm. we never worked out how to scale a campaign to the point where you can involve lots of people in crucial decisions all the time totally uh, yeah that's a big that is a big question I've definitely got it on my list excellent. of important <laughs> things to talk about but, but Nat now so you know obviously I'd like to explore I guess right to the city and how it emerged, but also, I guess, I guess, like, the interconnections, you know, between the elections and, and right to the city. Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, right to the city, it did really emerge out of, out of Jono's campaigns, right? Um, in that, um, it was bringing together a group of people who, as Max said, were kind of, I suppose, a little bit, um, disillusioned with more traditional ways of organising on the left. Mm. Um, a kind of... Not necessarily antipathy, but maybe an ambivalence towards electoral politics as, um, you know, maybe as a strategy or as a tactic rather than um, where we should be directing all of our energies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I suppose I can only really talk about what it, it appeals to me. I'd love to find out more about why it appeals to other people. But for me, I, you know, my early days on the Brisbane left were in, you know, the kind of the, the, the socialist groups you expect someone mm-hmm. new to the Brisbane left to, to show up to, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, you know, bless their radical hearts, but <laughs> they, are not, they were not welcoming places. They were not warm places. Um, they were not places where I felt comfortable as someone who didn't know anyone. Um, and there was also this level of, of kind of teleological thinking about how a revolution would emerge that I found deeply frustrating. Um, and so I think part of the reason why all of a sudden we were able to kind of coalesce around this idea about the right to the city. And, you know, it's pulling together people who come from 
lots of different places, lots of different sites of activism and organising, and as well as people who have kind of come from nowhere. Mm. Um, because there is a kind of radical openness to it. It, it mm. is it is not deterministic. It is, okay, mm. here, this is a space for, for organising, we're going to debate these ideas, but we're not necessarily going to predict exactly what's going to happen next. Yep. And I think that openness is, is appealing to a lot of people mm. um, in a way that more kind of dogmatic approaches are not. Definitely, definitely, and that's really important. It's, it's really, uh, and I, as a kind of historian of social movements, it's, it is important to have a welcoming kind of atmosphere and, mm -hmm. and to have not just straight politics, but stuff that breaks down that straight politics into kind of either whether that be cultural activity or kind of activity that breaks down the boundaries between politics and culture. And that's what's really interesting, I think, about Right to the Sea and other groups is that it's not just engaging in this level of high politics where it says, you know, there's Trotsky or whatever, there's Lenin, you know, we're talking about, you know, like, as you say, teleologies of yeah. revolution, you know, like all of this stuff that's happening in the real world is just like, we can read that through our theoretical lenses, you know, but it's saying, you know, that what, actually what Marx said at the outset of his writing is, you know, that the, 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 the process of revolution is the dissolution of the class by its own actions, is our actions rather than the political analysis. It's coming out of the actions of actual people as they exist in society, and that's mm. what's really interesting about Back to the City is that it is actually a response to things that are happening in its surrounds and taking its theoretical cues from that, more so from what's actually happening, right? Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is the, the whole idea about the right to the city, and this is, you know, it is, um, you know, a global movement that manifests itself in, in deeply local, situated, mm. spatial ways. It is. Yep. Um, it is a spatial politics inherently yeah. at its heart, which means yeah. that it has to be local, but it also has to be material. Yeah. Um, and so that provides a way, I think, for people to connect their kind of embodied physical experiences um, mm. of oppression, of deprivation, yeah. of alienation. Mm. Um, and then we move from there to, mm. to an articulation about, mm. okay, why is this happening? What are the structures at play? That's right. And I mean, you know, of course that used to happen... Um, perhaps I shouldn't say used to, that's a bit sad, but it used to happen in the workplace where people yeah. could connect those kind of yeah. material yeah. conditions of work yeah. to a broader, more abstract struggle about, uh, okay, well, this is actually to do with capitalism, this is to do with um, modes of production, this is the way, um, this is to do with politics and power more generally. Yeah. Um, but we kind of lost that. You know, most people of our generation mm. haven't been in a heavily unionised workplace, no. right? We don't work 9 to 5. With we like the 25-minute break in the middle and the smoko at 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like... it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I think the, the really cool thing that happens with the Right to the City movement is the city mm. becomes the space of that organising. Yeah, no, totally. And that just reminds me of like some kind of theoretical, like I was thinking about the idea of, that, you know, the factory. I think this might be from 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 Hart and Negri. Is this kind of idea that the that there's no longer the that the workplace is no longer just a factory, but the workplace is society. You know, yeah. and that the work that the work that we do increasingly is actually in our homes. It's in cafes. It's in places where you might not expect work traditionally to have been performed, but this is kind of all part of our part of our life worlds now. You know, like so it isn't just that central organising, I guess, mm. place in which ideas can emerge from, you can't, you know, get up on the workplace table and, and read the uh, read the Communist Party newspaper for the week or whatever for the masses, you know, this isn't the situation we're in anymore, you know. And also this, I just want to kind of talk a little bit about this concept of the right to the city and where that comes mm. from as well, because I mean, it's great there's all this kind of interesting stuff happening, but obviously right to the city does have a theoretical genesis. Yeah, of course it does, yeah. Um, so the phrase itself came out of um, Henri Lefebvre's work in the late 1960s. Um, you know, I always make this joke, but like all good philosophies are, you know, dead Frenchmen. Yep. Um, but, actually, I don't even know if he's dead. He is dead. He is he's dead. Very okay. dead. He's yeah, very yeah. dead. He died okay. in 91, I think. All right, there you go. Say. Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> <laughs> My maxim holds true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and basically it, look, it has lots of ideological roots, and I think people can, I think part of, the, part of its appeal, again, is, is that people can sort of trace their own particular brand of, of sort of left ideology through it. It's got, um, obviously draws heavily from Marxism, but it also draws heavily from um, anarchism and feminism and post-structuralism and, you know, mm. um, decolonization and, and lots and lots of things. Um, but basically it comes down to a few key ideas. Yeah. Um, it's around access and appropriation and also around inhabitation. Yeah. So the idea is that as inhabitants of a city, we all have the right to access the spaces and benefits of that city. Mm -hmm. um, whether that's housing, healthcare, education, work, mm. 
food, mm. um, energy, light, infrastructure, as well as simply space, um, mm. the space to be with one another, the space to um, encounter one another, mm. um, art, music, all of those wonderful things. Mm. Um, but it's also about appropriation. So it's the idea that the, the processes that produce urban space are also the processes that produce social conditions, right? Mm. There's an inherent yep. link between yep. those two things. Yep. And so if we are going to overturn structures that are creating creating social conditions, part of the way that we can do that is by overturning the structures that create urban environments, right? Yes. So it's about we need to appropriate these spaces, we need to appropriate mm. the physical infrastructure of mm. cities and spaces mm. and turn them to our own ends. Yep. If spaces are not being produced in a way that serves our needs, if we are not mm. um, being provided with safe and affordable housing, if we are mm. not being provided with um, transport infrastructure that works if we are not being provided with the kind of public open space that allows for vibrancy and um, and conviviality mm. then we should take them and we should make them and we should not mm. leave decisions about the city um, to the elite I suppose yeah. um, and then I guess the last point really is is a very um, I suppose inclusive definition of, of who gets to make those decisions mm. it's not about citizenship it's not about um, who has rights to vote it's not about who holds a passport it's not about who is or is not a legal citizen yeah um, these rights derive from inhabitation that yep. is that is the only thing they derive from yeah and I guess the other really important point and I said there was one more but there's another is that, <laughs> um, is that these rights are collective you yep. know um, yep. an individual right to the city makes absolutely no sense because that's yep. essentially just yep. the right yep. derived by private property right yeah, yeah the individual right to enjoy your three-bedroom penthouse without any kind of <laughs> you know, intrusion from the social sphere yeah exactly mm. so when we talk about the right to the city we're talking about a right that we can only exercise collaboratively and collectively mm. which means that we need a way to organize collaboratively and collectively um, mm. which again brings us back to the space yeah, definitely and this appropriation of space something that's been happening with a few other projects, I suppose, around, around Brisbane as well. Think about Brisbane Free Uni, which yeah. has been going for, mm. I think Bridie said, like five years now. Yeah. yeah, wow. So that's kind of, in a way, a kind of, does that provide some sort of intellectual or like spatial genesis, I guess, for kind of what's happening around Brisbane, do you think, the people around that? Look, I would think so, yeah. yeah. I would think that yeah. that's provided a crucial place for people to come together and start talking about these ideas, as well as to some extent normalizing getting together in a public space with people mm. you might know who we don't know to talk about ideas. Yeah, I think actually I should say where some of these political movements come from, like the intellectual foundations partially mm. have been Brisbane for University. Yeah. They, cool. did, uh, they did, they provided a space to nut out politics mm. and uh, talk about it theoretically mm. uh, in a space that wasn't confined by traditional sort of ways of political thinking, like it wasn't in a socialist alternative discussion group or it wasn't mm. in a Labour-left discussion group. It was quite freeform and quite open to thinking about new ways of doing politics, um, which was uh, yeah, which I think probably forms part of the theoretical foundation. I should also say with right to the city, what was interesting about it and its relationship with the election of um, Jonathan's Jonathan Three was that we did start talking within our sort of the politics of the campaign. We talked a lot. Of, we said right to the city, uh, and. Uh, the opening line of Jono's um, final letter to everyone in the electorate, uh, which took a lot of resources, uh, was "You have lost control um, mm. over your neighbourhood." Yeah, um, was the f was the opening line, and it mm. resonated powerfully. Yep. What was fascinating about this was that it was a message that cut across political groupings, that cut across mm. uh, political allegiances. It appealed to Liberal, Labor, Greens mm. voters. It appealed to people in public housing. Yeah, um, it was quite unifying. And yep. what we're finding out now, actually, is that Jono's electoral coalition was very diverse. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. And the other thing is that, um, you know, like part of our theory of change, or like theory of why it's important to get Jono elected, is that at the moment the left is at a very low ebb organisationally. Mm. Clearly, like we're very weak mm. uh, if we're realistic about it. And that, while previously you know radical um, politics shuns electoral politics. The useful thing about electoral politics is it provides a platform, A, to articulate a, a, something radical and new, mm. uh, albeit confined within electoral politics, but also provides you, um, it provides you with a sustainable win. Whereas, you know, if you get like 10,000 people at a rally, the next mm. day it's gone. Yeah. Whereas right. if you get Jono elected or you yeah. get someone, a radical person elected who provides a platform and the resources and mm. the voice to, yeah. s to almost give like an adrenaline boost mm. uh, to a political movement... Uh, it's something far more sustainable. It's four, eight, eight years 
um, of this platform. And the, and realistically, right to the city, the first it actually it had two previous failed lives. Mm. Um, when we first got into Jono's office, it was around West Village, and we organised yeah. this right to the city meeting. Yeah. And you know, like 150 people turned up, mm. and we broke it. It was what was interesting was it was specifically around West Village. Yeah. And it was broken. We tried to break. Let's it talk about West Village. Yes. It's got national and potentially international. Yeah. Um, so do you want to just briefly describe one of you, whoever knows most about West Village, what is it? Uh, so West Village was a major development uh, that was built on, was planned to be built on the old ABSO site on Boundary Street. It in, was West End. in West End. It was originally, um, it was originally founded, uh, sorry, it was originally going to be built by two major developers, Pace and Sekasui House. Sekasui mm. House was an international developer and Pace was based in Sydney. Mm. Uh, it was uh, originally planned for seven, um, well, actually, its original thing uh, included seven or eight towers. Yeah, about, about, about 15 or 25 yeah. 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 Uh, and then they were knocked back by council, and eventually now it's, it was then knocked back to seven 15-storey towers. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, probably the, the probably the biggest development in West End amongst a lot of developments yes. going on. Yes, and that's, that's the context. I guess broader context of the right to the city movement as well as, you know, like it's campaigning, you know, within the city spaces that we have, but that the city spaces at the moment are just constantly transforming, right? Like, at the moment, yeah. we've seen more development in Brisbane in the last five years, probably, than has been the, than, uh, has been the case for 20 or 30 years. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I mean, I think one of the interesting things about West Village is that they made a really, um, unfortunately obvious, um, tactical error in that mm. um, while their planning process was kind of going through, they mm. opened up this really great live music venue, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. the motor room, which people yeah. loved, you yeah. know, and, and it was it was a space that West End needed because, yeah. you know, it was kind of free to enter, there, a lot of like mm. bands playing there, it was a yeah. great, great space, mm. really lively, really vibrant, um, yeah. and that was a PR move on their part, right? Okay. But of course... When I had no idea of that genesis of the motor room, actually. I yeah, but people get attached okay. to it, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Because it filled this hole. And yeah. the markets. And the markets, yeah. yeah so yeah. the markets outside as well. And people... It became this yeah. this hub, right, for community. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, we're taking that away. Yeah. Like they accidentally revitalised exactly. that space, doing exactly the things they promised they would do with all their glossy brochures. They did it without spending anybody money at all. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Or knocking down, you know, like industrial yeah. heritage. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, bad move on their part because that actually really did help mm. catalyse. I think because, yeah, like they're, West Village is really not not super unusual in Brisbane at the moment. Mm. Um, there's a lot of things that's, that's terrible from a design perspective about it or mm. from a planning perspective about it. Um, but you could say that about a lot of developments going up in Brisbane. Yep. Um, but because it was in West End, which, you know, to some extent, it is a community that is able to mobilise a little bit more quickly than a lot of other sort of inner city or suburban communities around Brisbane. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but also because because of this space, because they, they did the very thing of actually pulling a whole bunch of people together mm. and then and then tearing them apart again. It reminds me of that fantastic line from Marx, that capitalism creates its own grave diggers. You know? <laughs> it's a very specific way. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is like, this is like, yeah, like, this is like the vindication of that in the most concrete way possible. Very, very interesting. Um, I want to talk a bit about, I was really interested in what you were mm. saying before about this letter that was sent out, because I think that could tie in. We've talked a bit about the theoretical foundations of right to the city, but... Mm. I think we need to talk about the idea of populism as well, I think, um, yes. in the context of, of Jonas Kapanthi said, looking at a very significant wide electoral coalition um, of Liberals, Labour and Greens voters, obviously, mm. who've got him across the line. And this letter, which, you know, says your neighbourhood has been taken from you, mm. sounds very similar to something, you know, that Donald Trump might say, you know, your country has been taken from you in the American context, you know, so I think it might be interesting if, I know you're, yeah. you're, not, you're not adverse to a discussion of populism, so, no. let's, so let's have a... Let's hear yeah. a little bit about what you think there. Yeah, I, I think well, I think that was a very actually early on in the campaign um, because it very deliberately the way the campaign was set up was to take what was being said on the doorstep during door knocks. Mm. This is when you knock on people's door and you have discussions mm. about politics. Yeah, um, we were very open. Having at the end of each of these door knocks, we'd have these very comprehensive debriefs with volunteers where you would talk about 
what people have been talking about. You talk about which um, political messages were effective, which ones mm. weren't working. And right at the start of the campaign, we had this very broad, probably quite social democratic message. Mm. Um, you know, it was uh, mixed with this form of sort of communitarianism, I suppose, mm. of like, you know, it's important that we do stuff at the level of the community. Um, we talked about public transport. We talked a little bit about property development. We talked about services, service provision. And it just wasn't, wasn't really like it was going all right. Mm. Um, but at some point... Um, I, I still remember it distinctly. We were in this in this debrief, mm-hmm. um, and they were like, "All right, so what? You know, um, what did I'm talking to everyone? Like, what did this person raise?" And like, "Ah, oh, they were really pissed off about property development." Like, okay, and what was the other person? They're like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I tried to talk about public transport, but then they just sort of talked about property development." <laughs> and I was, and then I still remember turning to John and being like, "Yeah, this is clearly it." Yeah. And the challenge is. We were always very conscious of not turning this into a NIMBY thing, mm. which is really hard, obviously, yeah. because it's, you know, we never wanted to, because it's a pathway to electoral irrelevancy and political relevancy. If you say West End's really special, yeah, yeah, let's keep you it. know, let's keep it exactly the way it is. Um, yeah, and just in case there's some people who aren't familiar, the term NIMBY means not in my backyard. It refers to the uh, kind of yuppies who don't want their nicely manicured you know, million dollar Queenslanders to be, you know, despoiled by 15 story developments next door. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. That's right. Um, so we had this broader discussion about what this meant mm. um, and what were the underlying factors around this. And the, mm. we came back to control. Yeah. That people, one of, the, one of the most fascinating things about all of this was that people, the underlying frustration was they didn't feel like they had control over what was going on, that they'd lost, like, usually politics at the national level, they understand they don't have control, but they genuinely felt like they'd lost control of what was going on on their doorstep, mm. which was a significant political moment. Um, mm. And so our, and I think that's where that populism mm. was was derived from, but it was interesting because yeah, yeah. it was derived from direct discussions with people. Yeah. It wasn't this sort of, like, reading on to the electorate of what we thought was going on. Yeah. It was this genuine these one actually about four or five thousand by the end of the campaign six or seven thousand direct conversations yeah like long political conversations that's really interesting sorry yeah i was gonna say i think that that whole notion of control i think is really interesting because it's obviously a really really powerful story that you've lost control of your neighborhood but they never really had it no and i I think that's and and this is something that's um yeah i guess has happened to me a few times since i was involved with rights the city and i've gotten up at different events and, and spoken about the way that development decisions are made and the, the way, you know, what rights people actually have in terms of um, influencing planning processes and planning decisions. Because um, we all know statutory planning frameworks are a super interesting um, topic of conversation. Um, but, you know, I've had quite a number of people, um, and frankly, like, often older people, um, come up to me and, and just say, but that's not, like, it's not it's not supposed to be like that, right? Like, we're supposed to be able to comment, we're supposed to be able to do this. And I was like, yeah, no. Like, sorry, the, the, the way the law is written is actually, no, you don't have that right, and you yeah. never actually did. Yeah. And the extent to which you've been included in the past mm. it's entirely been up to the people involved who've made the decision, or, or yeah. maybe they've just been better at making you feel good about what's happening, or mm. maybe it just didn't threaten you before, yeah. um, and so it didn't really, didn't really register. But people have been like, baffled and shocked that yeah. they actually don't have, that they had some kind of level of faith in the planning system that was entirely unwarranted. Yeah. Um, and, and there's cracks appearing in that now, mm. which I think is part of the reason why, um, obviously a huge part of the reason why Jono Shree was mm. um, was elected, uh, and also part of the reason why people are flocking to this idea about a right to the city, because that, that faith, um, and I'm not sure where that came from, but that faith has been well and truly battled. And I, I think that speaks to, you know, a broader political thing going on all across the world at the moment, with mm. you know, uh, Tad Tietz and Elizabeth mm. Humphreys talk a little bit about, which is that these breakdown in traditional structures of representation. Mm. What we're finding now, for instance, in the South Brisbane campaign is that it's a broader sense of frustration around, and a lot of people say, oh, politicians just don't do anything anymore. Mm. Um, and I think in the past, these, uh, these quite cohesive social groupings um, mm would function quite well at making people feel like they're being represented by politicians. And so while there may have not been its control, there was this broader sense politically across the board that they were being represented by the people that were elected. And I know that actually door knocking is this quite weird thing where you go and knock on someone's door and you convince them to vote for another party. Mm. But 20 years ago, if you were doing that, you would just run into lots of loyal Labour and Liberal voters who told you to piss off, basically. Yeah, yeah. They'd be like... Oh, or other know. means of talking to people. 
you know, you had the trade unions, churches, exactly, social groups, business clubs, rotary, you know, like other forms of social cohesion in which, you know, like um, politics was done. Yeah, politics was done was done in those places. But yeah, that's that is really interesting actually to think about it. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, and what we're experiencing on the ground is this disintegration. Like, yes, that we yes. have that opportunity is because, like, mm-hmm. the traditional um, function, the functions of politics are breaking down. Yeah. And I think while property development was the issue, it was a material representation of something going on at a much broader level. level. Mm. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm really interested in, in what's going on at this broader level. You know, because, you know, like, we're talking about, like, many of us would have probably dismissed the Brisbane... Brisbane's capacity to generate a large radical movement three or four years ago, we would have been like, oh, no, this is not going to happen. You know, like there's, you know, French socialist groups, as we know, there's, you know, occasional outpourings of activism around big issues. But, you know, like it seems like something concrete has happened in the last few years, even just going to Invasion Day recently. Like this is going to talk about indigenous indigeneity, which is so central to all of these discussions, of course, in indigenous Australians. But the last two Invasion Days have been like 10 times bigger yeah, yeah. than ones that I attended mm. like five or six years ago. So I think there's something in the political zeitgeist in the world and in Brisbane that's really shaping and, and changing at the moment. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, like it'd be, it's interesting, I think, you know, if we could just think about, I guess, how that like, what is happening? Like, why are people becoming more... Why is this happening, I guess, in a more general lens? Like, yes. especially in the context, I say, in the economic context, where Australia has not suffered mm. from the financial crisis in the same way as places in Europe or America that have seen the rise of radical populists in the form of Bernie Sanders mm. in the US, uh, Jeremy Corbyn potentially in the UK, or Podemos in, um, in Spain, you know? So what mm. is going on? I think... It's worth noting, actually, that uh, Queensland is being hit by the financial crisis viciously, mm. but up north, okay. um, yeah, yeah. Um, where is... youth, you know, general unemployment is anywhere between 12 and 15 percent, not general unemployment. Mm. Youth unemployment is 20 plus percent. And these mm. are the same areas where Pauline Hanson, who now does, is on 18 percent in Queensland. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's worth noting as an aside that we are being hit mm. in those areas. Um, just, just Geographically kind of distinct regions. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. it's impossible. I, in the general, what's going on more generally? I've noted that like mm. things feel demonstrably different. Mm. Um, I, I wonder if it's partly that you know the left is coming out of its sort of hangover from um, the Iraq War period, where mm. you know these are the biggest mobilizations in human history, mm. um, and we failed. Yeah, and nothing changed. Mm. And there seemed to be this sort of long-form strategic crisis post that, mm. where we just sort of ritually organized rallies. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like, why weren't you at this rally sort of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that happened on an, and everyone sort of dispersed and did their own thing for a little while. And then we kind mm. of seemed to be maybe partially inspired by what's going on with Bernie and, mm. and Jeremy and Podemos and Cerizia mm. in Greece, mm. um, which raises its own interesting strategic implications. Yes. Um, maybe we've been partially inspired by that. There just mm. seems to be this... And it's weird because Brisbane doesn't usually, like... It usually mm. takes a few years for it to catch up with this. Yeah, stuff. yeah, that's right. Yeah. But we're engaging in these new strategic discussions and um, the war, the worries for Aboriginal resistance. Mm. Yep. Doing some bloody awesome stuff. Yes. Actually. Yeah, really incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I, you know, I don't want to, for legal reasons, don't want to attribute everything that's <laughs> happened in Brisbane, but some of the cool, like, um, underground organising that they've done mm. in the lead up to Invasion Day has been bloody amazing. Mm. Yep. But it's all this new interesting political tactic stuff and all these mm. new different ideas and radical ways of organising that are genuinely quite new for the left mm. in comparison to the old, like, let's poster everywhere about yeah. this rally. Yeah, totally. Yep. I, I, I wonder if, and look, I don't, I don't know the answer to these questions, but no. I wonder if part of, part of it's coming that... Um, people are being radicalised in, in different ways than maybe mm. they were before. Yep. Um, because I think in some ways, and, you know, I'm always hesitant to make a generational argument because I think they tend to be, you know, a little weak. But I, but I do think um, there's a lot of people, an increasing number of people perhaps now, um, who are realising that the things they were told their life was going to be, it's mm. not going to be that way. Yep. Um, we've got... I think a lot of this is tied to things like, mm. um, obviously, the, the housing insecurity is a big one, but also... Mm you know, extreme casualisation and precarity of the workforce. Yep. Um, so, you know, and we know that things like home ownership and, and that steady job, we know that they, 
those have um, a conservative effect on people. They, they make them much more politically conservative. Yep. And all of a sudden, we've got a whole generation of people who might mm. never have that influence and are actually yep. having to, you know, maybe there was a period by which we were kind of delusional and we thought, yep. if we save up, if we're good little worker bees, you know, yeah. if, if I study really hard at university, if I do a million unpaid internships, then yep. I will get that good job and yep. I'll be okay. Yep. Um, but I think increasingly now, and perhaps mm. partly post-GFC, we've had to accept that, no, like, yeah, that's, that, that, that's actually yeah. not not it's structurally not the case. No. And so I think then we've got a whole group of young people who are perhaps looking for new um, new answers to why this is happening. Mm. Um, it's more of an embedded critique because it is deeply connected to the fact that you know they can't even get Centrelink because what like they're under twenty five or whatever. Mm. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why we're also seeing these new tactics is because yeah. that radicalization is coming from new places, yeah. um, which then means that there are new, you know, I, I guess there's, there's not that, you know, toolbox that's already set that this is, this is mm. the toolbox of the radical left, so this is what you do. Yeah. Now it's, well, I'm an artist and I can do projection art, so maybe that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I write poetry and that's what I'm going to do. Or, yeah. um, I just make really beautiful art and that's what I'm going to do. There's, yeah. there's different things being, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there's also something to do with the internet that we can talk about, but like... Yeah, I don't care about the internet. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it does facilitate, you know, I yeah. think, and it does certainly play a really important yeah. role. Um, mm. But it's also obviously not deterministic of anything. No, I mean, I think this is interesting because we're talking about, I guess, yeah, that there are these global effects and obviously now we get access to the global news much quicker than we did in, when I studied 60s, 70s movements, you know, people have to go overseas, to Prague Spring to May 68 and come back like four <laughs> months later and you know like oh this that is what they're amazing. doing over there you know like but you know like now we get it almost too much we have like so much information about what's yeah. going on in the mm -hmm. world it's like what are we going to do with all of this now but yeah like equally like these are kind of local specific Brisbane forms that this kind of protest is taking and you know like and obviously kind of this is to the point where national greens don't seem to really understand how successful or what the success was that you guys did in South Brisbane and in, in the Gabba Ward? No, there's actually been this really interesting misinterpretation or misunderstanding of what went on mm. in the Gabba Ward. And I actually saw some debates going on on Twitter, I think one between Dave and someone else. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> from someone down in Victoria. Um, the first instance was, it's just a council campaign. And a lot of people that were like, all right, they want a council election. Yeah. I mean... I don't it's want easy to, to win council. Exactly. Yeah. Well, play, to, to put it in comparison, though, the, elect the size of the Gabba Water electorate is 30,000 people, yeah. which is actually quite in comparison to most normal state electorates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this, you know, whereas other council electorates around the country, maybe this is where some of the, like, uh, misinterpretation of what mm. happened yeah. are probably four or 5,000 people. Yeah, and bloody easy to win. Yeah, people don't understand. Like in in, in Victoria, you can walk between like five. Dozen. Yeah, <laughs> you don't even realise. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's everywhere. Yeah, there's that. I think um, there was this quite uh, like I think um, from the national Greens perspective, it's just not on their radar. Yeah, I think, and these yeah. are, and these broader structural things going on in the national Greens, the sort of mm. separation between the parliamentary party mm. um, and sections of their broader activist base. Yeah. Um, uh, is one of the obvious things, and that happens to every political party. Yep. Uh, I think um, there's also, yeah, there's a tactical, and as a result, there's a tactical shift going on where there's this sort of shift towards professionalisation mm. and also really, you know, from my personal opinion, a misreading of what's, of how to be successful, like even at a basic electoral level, where um, they view, you know, the need that, they see all these Labour and Liberal voters that they'd like to win and they think, mm. well, the way to win those people is to be more professional, more like a progressive form of the Labour Party or a more honest form of the mm. Liberal Party. Yeah. Which is, you know, these are the two parties that are just disintegrating before our eyes and so yeah. it's sort of insane to tie yourself to two, to essentially like two simultaneously sinking titanics. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is fine. Yeah. <laughs> we just need to be slightly, stand slightly to the left of the deck chairs. <laughs> um, um, which, yeah, which is having some, and I think, and then view, and then if there's ever any talk about the Gabba Ward, um, one, they'll say it's just council. Two, they'll say, well, you talked about, it was a very straight, progressive talk about affordable housing, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is just a complete misrepresentation of why we mobilised so many volunteers, why so many people were excited about the campaign. Yeah. And we didn't... That wasn't the first thing we talked about. The first yeah. thing we talked about was a loss of control. 
Yep. This is very deliberately populist language yep. where we also went after political donations. We talked mm. about how broken the political system was. Yeah. And what was crazy was it resonated with groups of people that traditional political strategists would say, oh, no, that's, that's too radical for them. Yeah, you know, totally. That's, that's, so that's too out there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But corruption was always like a huge narrative, right, as part of that campaign. Yeah. It, it was, you know, and that was part, tied into some of the stuff about the loss of control of the city was it's because the system is corrupt. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's built to be corruptible and both major parties yeah, uh, are implicated in that. Millions from property donors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's that's so interesting. I think what I want to talk about now, we're kind of getting there anyway, is what's happening now and what's happening next, I guess. So where's Right to the City at now? Like, where's West Village at? I'm not even sure. Like, I know that a few months ago, there was like some sort of sweetheart deal between the Labour Party and the developers. And is that still the kind of position of that one? Do you know? Yeah. So I, essentially what happened was, uh, as a result of our campaign, mm. uh, and uh, political pressure applied by Jono, but also the general sort of campaign in conjunction with groups like West End Community Association yeah, yeah, or WECA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jackie Trad, the Deputy Premier, called in, used her ministerial power. She yeah. has a power that was actually handed over from the Newman government yeah. to call in the development, essentially. So take yeah. the development process, the approval mm. process, off the Brisbane City Council yeah. and move it over into the state government. Yeah. And we took this as a success, but what mm. ended up happening was that um, instead... Uh, what essentially was looked like, um, you know, whereas the neighbourhood plan mandates 15 storeys and 80% site coverage for the site, yeah. what um, Jackie ended up giving them was 22 storeys, yeah. feeling up to build at 22 storeys, and being like, oh, but they have to build at 80% site coverage. Yeah. When actually the, the neighbourhood plan mandated 15 storeys and 80% site coverage. And mm. um, so it was sort of, it looked very much like a sweetheart deal. Yeah. And the broader political context of this is that Jackie had one consultant consultation meeting okay. after she made the decision um, <laughs> and in this decision they were like well why didn't you just make them state the neighborhood plan and Jackie said I had to take in consideration the profitability these were her words the profitability yeah. of West Village yeah because sort of you know at least she's honest but it's insane that a government minister yeah. is taking a, yeah. the accumulate quite directly the accumulation of capital yeah, yeah. As <laughs> in a, on an honest way yeah. um, and the other thing is that post this call in that you know Jackie framed is calling developers in there was this enormous publicity campaign by West Village where everyone, all the way out to like Green Slopes, mm. were getting these letters in their letterbox about West Village, being like, now we're putting in a childcare centre, and now mm. it's this community thing. And they yeah. come every about two, three weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's all in my Facebook feed. I can't get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like so much of this. Yeah, we're building green spaces everywhere, you know, like, like you're saying, like access to like places to play music, you know, mm. places for, you know, to to have, you know, a casual coffee or whatever, you know, and they're trying to talk up, I guess, and trying to capture, I suppose, the sentiment that people express in this Right to the City stuff, where people are like, we want access to mm. two public spaces to actually live in, and they're like, oh, yeah. here's some green space. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the risky thing is is also, and this is this is a, you know, in Right to the City and, and in a lot of these movements um, mm. that employ sort of tactical urbanism and other strategies like that, yeah. the trouble is that kind of, DIY rough hewn mm. aesthetic is yeah. really easy to co opt. Yes. You know, and so, I mean, you know, early days, even pre calling, you know, West Village got, I believe, a local artist to paint these really great murals up on yeah. their fence, right? Yeah. To distract us from the Literally, the, back. the fence it, that they built around their fence. Exactly. <laughs> 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 Look how pretty the wall is. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Which, of course, was then, you know, chalked up immediately yeah. and then they yeah. had to erect another fence yeah. in front of the fence and then security guards in front of that fence yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, and it made it look like their pretty birds and stuff were actually in prison which was you know hilarious and and great yeah. but um that was great yeah yeah but yeah unfortunately it is easy for them to co-opt this stuff and i think the yeah. other thing that they do that frankly many developers do mm. is that they frame the things that they are legally required to do yeah as gifts. choices that they've made yeah. or, or as yeah. gifts that they've made or or, yeah. as, or even as concessions like oh we heard you we heard yeah. your concerns look what we're doing now it's like yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. You have to do that. That's it's like normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, they've they've been able to claim that, and you know, yeah. this is this is the power of their obviously immense marketing budget. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 Sorry, I was going to say the only other thing is that what's interesting about Ride to the City uh, is um, that its most powerful and self-sustaining projects are mm. probably not 
the, at this point, the campaign against West Village. Mm. Yeah, no, that's um, what I wanted to talk yeah, about. Yeah, the vibrant yeah. ones are actually this uh, called tactical urban, urban, urbanism, or as I actually call it, legal compliance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, you know, they're the projects around closing off Russell Street and yeah. having a street party, yeah. uh, and these far more very direct mm. um, material manifestations of trying to claim public space as a collective right. Yeah. What was interesting is that when we did this, the police yeah. response was incredible. Yeah. Incredibly yeah. harsh. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's this a whole backstory about a lot of activists were arrested. Yes, yes. Uh, and this sort of um, overreach by the police and breaching the rules I'll, stipulated in the Peaceful I'll Assembly Act. I'll make sure Act. that we link to some videos that were taken of the people getting arrested. Yeah, cool. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. I mean, that, and that... I think there's there's a tie in there between um, the police crackdown against the tactical urbanist stuff mm. with them also protecting West Village because the yes, site yes, of a lot of that yeah. tactical urbanism is Russell Street, which just across the road. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's just yeah. across the road, and so we were obviously um, far more threatening than our pallet furniture and chalk yeah. and yeah, street, you know, party. street party. That, that sounds like a sounds it, like a good slogan for a t-shirt. We are more powerful <laughs> than our pallets and chalk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we clearly present more of a threat. And yeah, they, I think they were obviously concerned that um, the power we took from that, that action mm. um, would be yeah. enough to, yeah, that they had to crack down on that um, as mm. viciously and harshly as possible to stop yeah. us from then perhaps occupying yeah, yeah. Well, this, this is the fascinating thing, right? That there was this unholy alliance, like quite deliberate alliance between the state government, the police, and the developers. Mm. Yeah. But in a coordinated way that I haven't seen, well, I don't think I've seen in my political no. organising. No. So no. people no. who remember a particular conservative premier's rule of <laughs> several decades ago might yeah. be a bit more familiar with it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that they saw West Village and the police and the state government saw our street parties a threat and that they yeah. saw this as a part of a broader power struggle clearly over what we were doing on the streets. Yeah. And this was a this was this was about control again. What was interesting yeah. is that mm. and the first what was fascinating for me in almost like a it was almost like an anthropological sense yeah. was in our first Russell Street um, party, um, we didn't ask anyone's permission. Yeah. Um, we just sorry, we you know we in a collective sense, no one yeah. particularly here. Yeah. Um, Legal reasons. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, you know, we just we didn't have, we just moved pallets onto the street, and I will never forget watching this police cruiser go past yeah. as it's just this street party kicking off on Russell mm. Street, and they yeah. look over, you know, they look sideways with this perplexed look, yeah, and then they turn back and they just keep driving, yeah. <laughs> and they, they did this two two or three times, yeah. and then finally they came and were like, oh, who's in charge? And we're like, oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't know who was in charge, yeah, and this look of frustration. <laughs> like from their side and it was clearly they'd made the call for the next thing was that they need to reassert control and this yeah, is about yeah. and yeah. what was interesting at the, the court case around um, around uh, the, our you know trying to get the right to do this again yeah yeah um, the coordinator of the West Village development Stephen yeah. Williams was sitting yeah. in the courtroom mm. watching wow. the proceedings okay. wow this yeah. is like a very clear sort of this is like, you know, we can talk about, oh, yeah, you know, the police and the state and the developers are in bed together, but if they're in the same room, then yeah. that's pretty clear. You know, it's not like, well, this is an abstraction here. We're talking yeah. about. I mean, I, and I, I think that's really, that's the kind of the, the fun upside of all of this is that, you know, it, it can be hard, I suppose, for people to connect this idea of a, of a street party or some of the other more kind of ephemeral and whimsical tactical urbanist strategies. It can be yeah. hard for them to connect that to a political project around the appropriation of space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like the response of the state and the police in this instance made yeah. our point so much more yeah. clearly than we could have possibly articulated. Yeah, because if they find a bunch of people sitting around listening to music yeah. to be yeah. an inherently dangerous act, yeah. then it is an inherently dangerous act. Yeah, yeah. It's like as soon as you censor something, it becomes something that everybody wants. As soon as you start cracking down on this yeah. stuff, it's going to lead to more. So what is going to happen next? What's the next step in this in uh, this tactical urbanism move? Not to implicate anyone in any future crimes, <laughs> but you know, what, what's what, what's the what's the thinking? What are we? What's, what's how do we do we take this legally in challenging sort of that quite I think not as good as it sounds peaceful assembly act. From 1992, or what's the? Uh, well, um, at our at our next um, sort of monthly right to the city meeting, which is yeah. sort of a which brings together people from um, yeah. all different branches of the campaign. And when will that be, and where? Oh, Let's just yeah, I'll, oh, we'll, I'll we'll, put the details we'll up. That. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, because yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah. soon. Um, <laughs> and we're having a bit of a skill share about the okay. Peaceful Assembly Act and about yeah. what happened in the courts. Yeah. Um, because 
we've already been contacted by other groups who want to organise actions. Oh, good. And they're concerned yeah. about what, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for, for protest in Brisbane more generally? Yeah. Um, so obviously sharing that knowledge and, and mm. so people can make an informed decision about the tactics they choose to employ is really important. Definitely. In terms of the tactical urbanism crew, uh, yeah. I won't say too much, and I'm certainly not you know, a spokesperson for that group, yeah. um, but I think there's definitely a bit of a move away from Russell Street as a site, yeah. um, and a bit of a move away from, um, definitely a move away from those large actions that are mm. um, really easy to smash, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. The smaller, quicker things that can be done. Um, yeah. I think there'll be a little bit more of that for a while as we kind of mm. um, develop our own skills about how we make decisions about this stuff and yep. what what's effective, what what actually changes how people are, are experiencing places, yep. Yep. Um, and then um, make some decisions a little bit down the line when we feel like we've got um, yep. build out built up our skills a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really interesting because I'm interested in that. You know, when you kind of scale down from that bigger movement into those smaller, then obviously you kind of remove, I guess, the level of collectivity. And that's mm. kind of forced on you by yeah. the state in this in this regard. But the other thing I guess I want to deal with in this is to think about what effect is this kind of casino? You know, the casino is planned. They want to knock down all, in a very, you know, in a lovely metaphorical sense, they're going to knock down all these old government buildings on <laughs> George Street in Brisbane City and build a giant fucking casino. Yeah. Like, yeah. So what's, what what are the considerations in Right to the City? What is Right to the City thinking about that? Do you know? Is there any real discussion? Yeah, I mean, so there was there was a forum like in December last year yeah. mm. that had... Oh, you could probably talk more about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, we we co- quite um, directly co-organised between Jono's office and Right to the City. Yeah. Um, the, fi- the strategic sense around the Queenswall Casino is that there's one of the really hard questions for Right to the City Mm. is how do we not just become a West End-focused, yeah. uh, inner-city lefty, latte-sipping, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. Um, a bunch of, you know, hippies having fun, yeah. and how do we scale this yeah, totally. uh, to yeah. something Brisbane-wide, Queensland-wide maybe, you know, yeah. Australia-wide, whatever. Um, yeah. And we see Queensball Casino as one of those yeah. um, things where it's capable of bringing, uh, building a much broader collective alliance. Totally. And... Yeah. You know, out of this forum, we decided beforehand that what we would do, because we were thinking about how to scale, mm. and what we would do is that at this forum, invite people from, because, you know, people had come from all over Brisbane to this forum. We had about yeah. 150 people. Yeah. Uh, it was a really good turnout. Mm. Uh, we would invite people to put up their hat, put their names down, if they'd like to run a, like, run a forum like this in their local neighbourhood. Yep. Uh, and we got, like, the 12 or 14 different people from suburbs across Brisbane say, cool. put their name and details down and said, I would love to run a forum. Uh, yeah, Queensville Casino in our neighbourhood, and we thought wow. this this yeah. would be the you know, and then right to the city can provide the logistics. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, nothing is but just by virtue of I've you know shifts in like I've stepped back from right to the city. Yeah, um, and that's another cool thing that a whole bunch of people have stepped back from right to the city, and it's taken on this new life. Yeah, yeah. That it hasn't just died. It's this new self-replicating thing. Um, and that's really important in social movements, of course. Is, you mm. know, often it's those leaders that are in there, and then you know, once they leave, it can yeah, kind of die. Yeah. But in this case, that's not happening, which is which is really positive. Oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's actually yeah. the coolest thing in the world. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think that's the strategic um, discussion around Queens Wharf. As yet, there has been no mm. push on that. I yeah. think because well, of what's the start of the year, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, there, there is a group and they are working on Good. on that. Um, and I think in terms of, in terms of scaling up, mm. um, I guess the really, the really difficult thing about scaling up right to the city movements is because mm. they are place-based. Yes. Um, yes. So you can't, you know, it's, it's going to be totally meaningless to roll out some generic framework if this is how you build a right to the city movement. No, right? that's right. Yeah. It goes against everything we've just spoken about. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know, different different areas, different suburbs, different places are going to be catalyzed by different things. Yeah. Um, and so I think, and this is something we've been talking about a bit um, at Right to the City, is what we'd like to be is a group that can help skill up. So as, as Max said, you know, we can, if you want to run a forum in your area, we'll go out and help you do that. Yeah. Before the very heavy police crackdown, yeah. um, we were planning on doing that with the Break the Boundary Russell Street closure. If you want to hold a street party, mm. um, you tell us what place in your neighbourhood works and we're going to help and come and help you coordinate that and do that. Yep. But that obviously now became a far more riskier task. Yeah, so not, not an yeah. easy kind of... Um, gateway into yeah. radicalisation yeah. for, for that, people. And that ties you into developments in other kind of inner city areas that are going rampant at the moment and, you know, that, that obviously, once it, 
it, the police reaction could be even worse once they realise that this is like a contagion that's yeah, spreading exactly. outside of West End to like Wollongabba, for instance, where I know residents are incredibly pissed. Yeah. Tuong, where I live, people are very pissed yeah. about the level of overdevelopment there, you know, yeah. like... Buranda, like I live around yeah, Queens, totally. like Buranda, there's, yeah. yeah, big push there. Yeah. And that's the other thing about scale, I guess, is yeah, Queens Wharf is a good way of scaling, but I guess another way is kind of connecting up with these other... I know that these community groups, they all have, they're all kind of... They also have their own kind of organizing committees, I guess, yeah. around kind of individuals in those areas, mm. which is obvious because they're locality-based protest movements. Yeah. But I guess growing those connections is, is a difficult thing. Yeah, but I, th- I think that's that really is the most important task is building those connections as well as mm. making it clear, um, yeah. which I think is something that the right to the city frame can do. We don't have to, we don't, you know, there's no no agenda to subsume these groups or anything. There's, there's absolutely yeah. no need to. Yeah. What right to the city can do is say, okay, so you're pissed off about this development in your area. Yeah. People are pissed off about developments everywhere. This yeah. isn't actually about the individual development. That might be yeah. what catalyzes your involvement, and that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but we could, even if we succeed and quash this development, yeah. how are we going to achieve broader systemic change so you don't have to do this every five years? And, yeah, totally. And also, yeah. how do you incorporate... I think the danger as well is this just becomes... Like, there's real... I think one of the things that we're really seriously thinking about is, in the other sense of scale, is... How do we develop a program that's above and beyond just resistance to property development? Absolutely. Yes. And yes. part of that, part of the reason we um, we talk so much about public and social housing, and especially mm. public housing, yeah. and affordable housing, and not just affordable housing, but we want publicly owned, yep. free houses yep. on these sites. Yeah. Is a way of trying to build this broader, mm. starting to broaden out the narrative a little bit. And when we yep. say right to the city, we're not saying you know not in my backyard. Yeah. Uh, this sort of NIMBY thing. Yeah, we're trying to say everyone has a right to the yep. goods and services and and, and the collective rights yep. to places yep. like West End. Yep, that's that's yep. everyone. Yeah, Indigenous people. That's exactly. you know migrant people. This is everyone who's traditionally excluded and being has been excluded from these areas systematically yep. through kind of the gentrification process and through over policing processes that Absolutely. have been yeah, over policing. As Indigenous people know, in West End is not something that is new. No, over policing exactly. is is by the West End. Police has been a very long process, obviously. Not least because the name Boundary Street. Yes, well, yeah, yeah. And there was some like weird move to change the name a while back, and Indigenous people were like, "No, let's keep it so that we remember." You remember how shit you are. Yeah, exactly. And and instead, let's let's make visible the history of of what's happened here and how it connects to the current on orders and the the criminalisation of black bodies in in cities. Oh, definitely, definitely. we are kind of, we're only, up, we're only at 56 minutes. Let's talk a few more minutes just about yep. the future. And what, so we've got, obviously, talking about scale, yep. the state election. No one knows when that's going to be? No, no idea when it's going to be. Uh, again, uh, uh, there's a bit of, uh, of quite a deliberate push to try and make this again, the state election, mm. a scaled-up version of, of mm. the sort of radical things we talked about during the Gab Award yep. uh, and, trying, and trying to do a form of left populism, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, sure. in some ways. Um, yep. There will be challenges associated with that. Yep. Uh, it's um, The campaign is going to be on a scale like nothing the Gab Award ever saw. Yeah. So How much bigger is the award? Is the is the um, the, the, the state, state electorate? It's, state electorate. it's um, about, it's about 5,000 more people. It's oh, not actually okay. that much bigger, but okay. it's just... State politics is just different. Yeah. Um, There'll be a lot more money put into it by oh, the rival we th- parties. We think yeah. that the Labour Party will spend a million dollars in South Brisbane. That's insane. Um, and so... <laughs> Obviously, we need a much bigger scale of campaign. We need yep. probably double or triple the size of the Gab Award. Yeah. Uh, the interesting things for me are how that, how it, how again, how electoral politics relates to a broader form yep. of politics, and making yep. sure that um, it doesn't just fall into the same old trap of, mm. um, of purely electoral politics. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing is how social movements relate to social to yeah, electoral yeah. politics yeah. and how they build and feed off each other and give yeah. each other strength as opposed yeah. to destroying each other. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be something that's really present in this dialogue that's happening between mm-hmm. Right to the City and um, and the various kind of election campaigns by the South Brisbane Greens, mm-hmm. which have been operating in a completely different policy context, I suppose, to the way that the National Greens yes. have been operating mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah, and I think broader questions down the line of what is the Greens' role going to be in, mm. in political movements? Will they go the path, yeah. will they follow the path of electoral irrelevancy and tie yeah. themselves to the sinking Labour Titanic? Or yeah, yeah. Uh, will they genuinely... And, I, and this is the other thing, is no one knows, like after Syriza's failure, yeah, yeah. No, none of us know tactically what to do yeah. We're sort of like feeling around in the dark and we've seen yep. people make mistakes and we try not to yep. make those same mistakes. 
Yeah. But our instinct, I think a lot of people's instinct, I won't speak mm. for everyone, but for a lot of people I know, is that it will involve mm. parts, some like sprinklings of electoral politics and mm. trying to um, foster and encourage social yeah. movements. And it has to involve both yeah. if we're talking about a politics that scales beyond the local. Yeah, so that, that, that's really, that, that's exactly right. Because I mean, how do you make this relevant to people, say, out in Springfield where they've got a new city going in? Mm. You know, there's new developments on the Sunshine Coast all over the place. There are new developments that are happening. There are crackdowns on the uses of public space in, in Budderham at the moment, where there's uh, this Eat Street in Budderham where these people are growing food all over the street. <laughs> and the council is trying to, like, stop that really quite viciously, apparently. And, yeah. like, yeah, so there's all this stuff that's happening. But it's about how do we broaden out, how does, how does a movement broaden out, you know, in terms of the scaling thing, you know. And the Greens, like the Labour Party has an apparatus in a lot of these places, right? Labour Party has mm. a good rural apparatus, relatively good rural apparatus, and a relatively good suburban apparatus. You know, they, they win a Nala every time, you know, they, they, they have a, a rural presence, especially like up in Rocky and Cairns mm. and whatnot, that the Greens just really don't have. And I guess how important is it for the Greens to develop these kind of long-term organisational processes in these places or is it more going to be a matter of this populism just kind of like going there and figuring out what people want I, the, I it's worth noting that there are functional branches yeah, in yeah. rural and regional yeah. areas yeah. the greens yeah, um, yeah. Uh, they have a tough time yeah yeah <laughs> as you can yeah. imagine yep uh i would say uh yes it's important to start yeah. moving out there but i think the other tactical thing is that we know where our strengths lie that's right yeah um and and, you know, this is also in the context of the rise of one nation. Mm. And I keep saying, uh, you know, like, I suppose my personal perspective is the best way at the moment in this immediate sense to fight one nation, fight the, and fight, honestly, our equal enemies, the Labour and the Liberal Party. And yep. frankly, I think strategically they are and have done more damage yep. than one nation ever has. Yep. Um, is, is to build our organisational strength in areas yep. where we already have natural and strategic advantages. Yep. Um, and so that means getting radical, pe radical awesome people elected in the inner city. It means building social movements where we yep. have those social connections. That's right. Um, yep. Because there's no like there's no like transplanting things. Yeah, yeah. Um, into regional yeah. areas, it's just not going to work. Yeah, you risk doing the same thing that, the, that that other socialist groups have done in the past. Even when the Communist Party in the 30s and 40s developed its own developed a really strong apparatus in North Queensland, that was an organic process. It developed around migrant coalescing of migrant workers and disillusionment with the conservative trade union up there. And you know, like it's not just something you need to realise. We need to use what Dave and I talked about a lot: the inverted periscope. You look at what's actually happening, like what you did with your door knocking, figuring mm. out what is people actually upset about and pissed off at, not just what you imagine. Yes. They'll be upset yeah. and oh, pissed off about. Oh, can I just say, this will be the last thing I say, mm -hmm. um, but if I think there's one important tactical shift that has to happen in just general left organising, yeah. we have to start talking, listening to people yeah. and talk about the things they actually care about, not yeah. the things we morally think they should <laughs> care about, and then shaming them or sort of yeah. like coming over the top of them and telling them, no, sorry, you might care about the fact that you can't afford to buy a house, but you should care about this issue. Yeah, and my God, right. if you yeah. don't care about this issue, you're a monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a monster. <laughs> if we don't, if we don't get past that, we're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, very I, and, good. I, and I think a big part of that is we need to have we need to have some kind of belief in radicalization through struggle, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that if we can tap into people where they are, where they live, and engage with them on what's concerning them, you know, that doesn't preclude some kind of broader anti-capitalist critique down the line. It doesn't preclude. Um, you know, a broader environmentalist critique down the line. But mm. what it means is that you've got to start somewhere and you start with where, mm. where people are at and that yep. radicalisation can happen through relationships. Which is? Which is exactly what happens, yeah. That's exactly. That's a really good note to end on. I did want to talk about Adani. You might do that note about to do that some other time, but I think mm. we've done a really good, really great conversation. So thanks, Nat and Max. Thanks, thanks for having pleasure. me. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. And uh, Stephen with Living... The Dream Podcast. You can listen to us at uh, livingthedream.podbean.com or on iTunes. Thanks a lot. Have a good day.
Letztes Jahr nachts lief in Pushkart. Shut up!